Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 404, not found. We are sorry, the subspace transmission you are looking for has not been found. Please try again later. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Gameprint.net. Get 20% off your order of a custom Star Trek Online starship when you use promo code PRIORITY20. That's PRIORITY20 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And a special thanks to new patron Joshua Selig. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 404 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, March 12th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 15th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. Well, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this episode? Well, this week we're checking out a possible release window for the Michelle Yeoh-led Section 31 series. Then Star Trek Discovery saw two new actors taking on two old roles. And Dr. Trek himself put a name to a face, solving a half-century-old mystery. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, console players get an extended anniversary event, and WizKids is releasing yet another Star Trek tabletop game. In our on-screen segment, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 8, If Memory Serves. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Are you looking for events that you might be able to attend? Well, we've got some to let you know about. In a couple of weeks, some of the hosts from the Roddenberry Podcast Network will be appearing at WonderCon, including Kenna, Larry Nemechek, and Ken Ray. That's happening Saturday, March 30th in Anaheim, California. And of course, if you are in the LA area, join Larry Nemechek and John Champion at the Inpro Theater in Los Feliz every other Friday, where they get together with other Trek fans for a Discovery viewing party. Sometimes they even have special guests. Anywho, for more information on those events, be sure to keep an eye on our social media channels, and we hope to see you there. And finally, we want to remind you that March is National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, and the Roddenberry Foundation has teamed up with Chase Masterson's Pop Culture Hero Coalition. Every donation you make to Pop Culture Hero Coalition's heroic campaign, helping kids with serious disabilities in schools, will be matched dollar for dollar by the Roddenberry Foundation. 
For more information, go to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. On March 11th and 12th in Jerusalem, Cachette Media Group hosted the INTV, the International Conference on TV Innovation, and CBS was present. Executives discussed the importance of tentpole writers, the need for original content, and the value of reboots, including Star Trek. There wasn't much disclosed about our favorite franchise, but there was a Trek crumb dropped. During the CBS presentation, CBS Television Studios President David Staff gave a vague timeline for the upcoming Section 31 Michelle Yeoh spin-off. Staff confirmed the show will be filmed in Toronto, the same location as the currently running Star Trek Discovery, and said, quote, it's a good couple of years away, end quote. This seems to fit in with the timetable laid out by Star Trek head Alex Kurtzman and CBS All Access Executive Vice President of Original Content Julie McNamara. In mid-January, McNamara told The Wrap, quote, When I look at how the Star Trek schedule is theoretically laying out on my desk, it does not feel like it's one after another. Some of these can be considered as replacements as opposed to additions. These Trek shows take a lot of incubation because they're very prep-heavy, visual effects-heavy. We're seeing it more as we're getting a good jump on making sure that there is a good, fulsome stream of Star Trek material, end quote. At the TCA Winter Press Tour in February, Kurtzman corroborated the timeline, telling website comicbook.com, quote, Section 31 showrunners Erica Lippold and Bo Yon Kim are amazing, and they're a big part of Discovery, so they're on our staff too. So they're doing double duty this year, and our hope is that they will have a script in the next couple of months. And then, as soon as Discovery Season 3 is over, we're rolling into that show. That's my hope, end quote. For a link to the articles, be sure to check out the show notes. Yeah, I think this is pretty much what we were expecting. Discovery just got renewed for season three. So it seems to me that we'll have Discovery season two finish up. We'll get the Picard show season one, and then we'll get Discovery season three, and then probably section 31 season one. So this makes sense with, you know, the animated shorts and lower decks thrown in there somewhere. So I think this is about what to expect. And, you know, I'm excited to see the show. I hope it deals with maybe how Section 31 goes more underground than it is in Discovery. So we'll see. What's interesting to me is that they're talking about a couple of the writers, Erica Lippold and Boyan Kim. Um, sounds like they're they're doing some of the scripting for the Section 31 show. I'm curious to sort of see where they're going to take it because at the moment like th- this season of Discovery is very Section 31 heavy and if they're writing the script now I wonder how that's going to translate into something that happens a couple years down the road. I know that we're going to see Michelle Yeoh sort of as the head person but whether that will be a continuation of a story that we're seeing in Discovery or whether it will be like a tangential like sideways leap into a different story we'll be interested to see which direction they take that. This week also brought with it our first real look at Ethan Peck Spock. We'll get into our thoughts on his performance and the newest episode If Memory Serves in our on-screen segment so stay tuned. Following the newest episode, however, Peck sat down with The Ready Room's Naomi Kyle and opened up about Spock's relationship with Burnham, Pike, himself, and what to look for later this season. On Burnham, Peck said, So the relationship between Spock and Michael Burnham, that moment in their childhood when Mm -hmm. she left him, really was the beginning of his 
in my opinion, sort of like shutdown or compartmentalization of his emotions, mm -hmm. which, as I said, is half of who he is, right, is what makes him special as a Vulcan, as a member of the Vulcan civilization, as the human civilization. And so that's really what we're dealing with is this moment in this season. And I think it's a big cornerstone in who he is sort of qualitatively in, in his personality. In regards to Spock's relationship with Captain Pike, Peck explains... It's not spoken about explicitly, but I had decided that he was sort of like an older brother figure and that I had secretly admired him because Spock has been so closed off emotionally for mm -hmm. so long, but that there was a, a relationship with, with Pike that was, he's teaching him to be human, he's teaching him to be a man, a human man, mm -hmm. and not a Vulcan man. You know, how yeah. we wouldn't even know how to describe that. In a bit of character self-reflection, Peck said of Spock, Because he's half human, he has this huge emotional capability that he's basically ignored for many of his uh, years that he's been alive. And the interaction with the Red Angel, I think, has opened himself up to himself, and he's unprepared to handle it. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of emotional content that he just doesn't have the tools to handle, which is, I think, what this season's really about for Spock, is like getting to know himself and getting back to his roots and to his origins. Finally, when asked to describe what's next for Spock in three words, Peck replied, Faith, family, and wonder. And I think that you can expect Spock to become more like you've known him to be. Okay. So this is a so. huge, a big transitional period for him. And, and I think that's true for all the characters in the season, which is really wonderful. I think origin is so compelling for all of us mm -hmm. as we kind of move through life. The Ready Room airs every week following the newest episode of Discovery on CBS All Access's Facebook page and can also be viewed on YouTube. Check out the show notes for links. Ethan Peck wasn't the only actor to try on a classic role in If Memory Serves. Australian actress Melissa George surprised Trekdom with her appearance as the iconic Vina. In an interview with Sci-Fi Wire, the 42-year-old George talks about the experience of playing Vina, what she brought to the role, and how original Vina actress Susan Oliver contributed to her performance. George told Sci-Fi Wire, quote, When you first see Vina with that perfect blonde hair and that perfect blue eyeshadow, you think, oh, she's a bit off with the fairies. But she's actually got such gravitas and and is in fact very strong and grounded. So I decided I was going to embrace being a woman with all her beauty and the hair and those high heels and being comfortable in my own skin. And that's how I am in my own life too. I think that women often get perceived in a certain way. If you're too pretty, you're perceived as maybe not being smart enough. So no, she's not a victim. She's everything this woman. She's clearly a woman in love too. So I decided to be comfortable and strong with it, end quote. The sound team played a part in George's performance as well, with George re-recording some of Susan Oliver's iconic lines and then merging the two voices together. Quote, They did put some of my voice on top of hers to kind of meld the two together. I couldn't recreate her acting because so much has changed the way we act today. There's a different kind of inflection. But I wanted to watch it and pay homage to her and the way the character felt, end quote. For a link to the article, check out the show notes. We're not going to talk too much about her performance when we get to on screen, but I do want to point something out that the editor for Star Trek Discovery had posted a series of tweets about mm -hmm. that prelude, right? And that prelude that, that previously on Star Trek also included scenes with uh, Susan Oliver. They had toyed around with the concept of reshooting those scenes for the previously on. Instead of using the original film, they had thought about using completely redoing it from scratch. Isn't that crazy? I read this in this interview and I was completely confused because I don't remember what she's talking about where they merge the two voices together. Do you think that's for, was that for that preview previously on scene? Do you know? I didn't pick up on any audio See, now I have to watch it again. play throughout <laughs> the episode. Okay, I'll watch it again. There are some mysteries that have haunted us for decades. Where is Cleopatra's tomb? 
What is the fate of the fabled Ark of the Covenant? Is there, or has there ever been, a city of Atlantis? Well, listeners, our friend and colleague, Larry Nemechek, has an answer to possibly the most vexing mystery of them all. Who played the human version of Gary Seven's cat Isis? Dr. Trek himself has uncovered the extra casting call sheets from the January 5th, 1968 filming of Assignment Earth, and the actress listed as, quote, one cat girl, cost fern, end quote, is actress, contortionist, and dancer April Tatro. The human form of a shape-shifting cat Isis, which was an uncredited extra role, was long thought to be played by actress Victoria Vetri. Vetri denied the appearance, stating in the October 24th, 2008 edition of A Little Shop of Horrors number 41, quote, I was never in an episode of Star Trek. I know that people think I was, end quote. In the newest episode of the Roddenberry Podcast Network's Trek Files, Larry sits down with April, and she recalls her time on set, her bewilderment of Star Trek fandom's fascination with the part, and an interesting story with William Shatner. It's a great listen, so be sure to trek it out by following a link in our show notes. I have to say, this is probably one of the one of the greatest things about Larry Nemechek and the Trek Files is the, the the sheer amount of research that they're putting into producing this show. If you haven't trekked it out yet, if you want to know about the behind the scenes, the memos, what it took to create Star Trek, then be sure to download the Trek Files and start listening to it. I love the Trek Files. It's, I mean, I, I listen to all the Roddenberry podcast shows, but I, I listened to the Trek Files before I was a part of this show, so... Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. But before we move on to Star Trek Online and gaming news, it's time for a word from our friends at Gameprint.net. That's right. The ship that you have fallen in love with in-game and have customized to suit your style can now be printed and displayed proudly on your coffee table, office, wherever you want to build your armada. Now, if you haven't already, we strongly advise that you join the Gameprint fan group. All you have to do is search on Facebook, STO Gameprint. The reason is that you'll begin to see images from fellow gamers, fellow Star Trek fans who have posted their photos of their ships, which will help give you a sense of the awesome quality that you'll receive from these 3D printed ships. Now, even if you don't play Star Trek Online, not to worry. You can explore an immense library of ships that players have already uploaded to Gameprint.net and you can rename that ship to whatever you want with whatever registry that you want. With options starting at just $19.99 for a 4-inch color print, there's no reason why you shouldn't add a unique starship to your collection, and it'll be customized just for you. And when you use code PRIORITY20 at checkout, you'll save 20% on your order. That's code PRIORITY20 at checkout to save 20% off your very own customized starship. Computer, status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. The Centaur-class light cruiser Starship, both Tier 1 and Tier 6 versions, have received a facelift. With the latest update on PC, all parts for the starter ship variant are being replaced with a brand new motion picture era look. The Centaur-class, which originally debuted in the Dominion War battle scenes for Deep Space Nine, has been a starter ship variant option in Star Trek Online since the game launched. The studio model was kit-bashed together from pieces of the Excelsior and Miranda classes. Star Trek Online ship artist Ian and Richards took the same approach in-game by combining and rescaling digital model pieces of the in-game Excelsior and Miranda. These updated visuals will replace the current visual options and are free 
So, if you log in and your centaur looks a little strange, be sure to visit the ship tailor in-game to reapply the new skins. The planet Pavo has been the epicenter of temporal and dimensional events recently, and those aftershocks will continue to be felt. In Peril Over Pavo, a new featured TFO, players will team up to fight off enemy forces from both the past and altered realities to allow Pavo's new planetary defenses to come online. The event will run for three weeks on PC starting March 21st, and then will debut on consoles in the fall. Participating in this featured TFO daily will grant you the usual TFO vouchers, which can be turned in for the special TFO project. With 14 vouchers, you can earn three featured TFO reward boxes containing either an enhanced universal tech upgrade or a captain specialization point, dilithium, and marks. You will also earn the Terran Gorilla Combat Armor, which has a special ability to redirect incoming damage to damage over time effects for several seconds. It will also give you a costume unlock for the Terran Gorilla Vest and Jacket, first worn by Gabriel Lorca in Star Trek Discovery's Mirror Universe episodes. For more information and images of the costume, check out the show notes. So this is a space TFO, and the reward is ground armor. That is correct, but... That costume's pretty sweet, so you could tell me it's a doff TFO, and I would still do it for this. The most recent PC patch also brought with it some notable improvements, first of which is reputation ground and space sets, along with experimental weapons, are now eligible for re-engineering. Thank God. Well, don't, don't be confused. It's not salvageable. It's oh, re-engineered. Man. There's a difference. Oh, well, Boo. If you're not familiar with re-engineering, right-clicking on certain equipment items will give you the re-engineering option where you can spend salvage and dilithium to re-roll the modifiers on the selected piece of gear. To get salvage, you right-click on an eligible piece of equipment and select salvage. This breaks the gear down, giving you not only salvage, but a small amount of R&D components. In another part of the patch notes, captains with the Styx Terran Dreadnought and the Mirror Escort Carrier now have a Terran Bridge variant as an option. Also, the Walker-class bridge has been added as an option for the Crossfield-class Science Spearhead Vessel. Over on console patch notes, due to an issue with the Omega Molecule minigame, the anniversary event will be extended by seven days until April 9th. Links to the patch notes for both PC and console can be found in the show notes. Man, they had me going there with the reputation ground and space sets. Like, yeah, re-engineering is nice, but how often do we really use reputation gear? You know, like for for the min-maxers, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great benefits of having those sets um, on your characters and on your ships. And to this day, in this age of meta, we're still seeing, you know, two-piece sets from different reputations used in uh, high-end builds and even in some casual builds as well. So I actually think this is a great thing. And um, it doesn't specifically say that, that they are salvageable or not salvageable, but I wouldn't be surprised if the box rewards that you get uh, become salvageable eventually. Oh, 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 okay, okay. So this is for the gear that you trade in the actual currency to get the actual set pieces uh, at the end, not not the boxes you get each day you run. Correct. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. No. 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 You, those you use. Those. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little confused by that. Those you do use. Those set. But those. Yes. Those are still used. These are the sets that you, um, as like the you know in tier five, you can put all the pieces together and you get set bonuses. Right, so now right. and the experimental weapons. So like there's the um, the Romulan experimental plasma directional. Yeah. And I. So it 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 
if if you know it, those those appear to be now re-engineerable, so you can re-roll those. Yeah, that's cool. That 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 works. Yes, because those those pieces of equipment, yes, they are used. It's the boxes you get when you trigger a daily or right, something like that. Right. Like who really uses those? Which is why I've been clamoring for those to be salvageable. Yeah, and I think those are primarily until you can get that high end stuff, you can throw one of those rewards on your ship until you have the better gear. Right. Right. They're good. They're good as a temporary thing, yeah. but not necessarily not necessarily something you want to build your ship on. This weekend, from now until March 18th at 10 a.m., captains on PC can queue up for the Zinkethi Red Alert. These TFOs will reward 35 reputation marks on each run-through and have no cooldown. Red Alerts are a great way to grind out some of those marks that you need. In other gaming news, Modifius Entertainment has announced new upcoming releases for the Star Trek Adventures tabletop game, the first of which is the Science Division supplement releasing this month. Along with having new science-based Trek lore and additional options for science characters, this source book will also include tips on how to involve time travel and the omnipowerful cue to your adventures. Then in July, the Alpha Quadrant sourcebook releases with new resources for those wishing to incorporate Deep Space Nine, Bajorans, the Ferengi Alliance, and many other Alpha Quadrant species and locations. The final planned release will be another Strange New Worlds mission compendium. This follows These Are the Voyages with nine original missions ready for your crew and away team to attempt. And WizKids is releasing yet another Star Trek-themed tabletop game. Scheduled to arrive sometime in August, Star Trek Alliance is a cooperative campaign-style game set during the Dominion War. Players take on the roles of starship captains and experience a series of missions against the Dominion forces. The game will include one Excelsior class and one Akira-class starships, along with three Jem'Hadar attack ships and six mission scenarios. These are intended for two players, but multiple copies of the games can be combined to accommodate up to six players. The Starship miniatures in this game will be fully compatible with the Star Trek Attack Wing tabletop game, and the suggested retail price is around $49.99. And that brings us to our community question this week. Do you play any Star Trek tabletop games? If so, what are your favorites? And as we record our live episode, we have a special guest drop by to talk about last week's episode of Priority One Podcast. Joining us is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thanks for the surprise visit. Thank you. Thank you for, for dropping me in. I just wanted to stop by and say hello and, and chat a little bit. Thanks for the let me come in on short notice. Of course, of course. So so last week's episode was was a little intense with respect to Star Trek Online. We had covered uh, a particular video that, that started making its way around the interwebs. And you mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about that one. The, the mic is yours, sir. The mic is mine. Well, uh, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit and dispel any 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 silly rumors because it really kind of grind my gears a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, to me, it's like it's, it's the same kind of uh, – it's just like this entitled hatred kind of thing that – and ranty things that people go on. You see the same thing about saying – Oh, Discovery. Everybody hates Discovery and it's dead on arrival and it's here we are renewed for a third season, right? So, you know, you even mentioned that the person wasn't commenting on current content, so they obviously don't even know what's going on in the game. Part of it is uh, I'll share a little bit of news here with you for your Party One viewers, although we'll be, I'll be very, very vague about it. For example, um, last week we just signed a a brand new actor slash actress, I won't say male or female, from Discovery who'll be joining Star Trek Online. And, you know, those aren't cheap. And you actually know who it is, Elijah, so keep your mouth shut because you saw it on our whiteboard. 
when you're in when you're in Ten Forge and visiting. And he said, "Oh, you're getting so and so." And I said, "No," because I didn't want to say anything. But so you already know who it is. And, and, so, and turn that whiteboard around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think. Oh man, now I don't remember. Oh, you don't remember? <laughs> I think maybe I do. Maybe I do. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think and I'm currently in negotiations with uh, with another with another actor. This you know Star Trek Online is. Uh, I've been working on Star Trek Online now for over 10 or 11 years it's an mmo that's that's in its full swing we we had probably overall nearly the best year last year financially and 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 numerically last year on star trek online very much close to the best year and the last couple months has even been better than that and we've even seen a great increase in new users over the last few months thanks no part to discovery um so we're on an interesting incline, in, uh, upswing right now. So um, I have some inside information about the game, so I got a pretty good idea that it's going to be around for for a long time. I've got about 15 years left of me before I retire, and I hope to be working, spending all of that on Star Trek Online for the next 15 years, bringing new content. With everything that's coming on the show, there's just an endless amount of new stuff to be working with CBS, and there are no signs of Star Trek Online slowing down. When you see an MMO slow down, you're not seeing monthly updates. You're not seeing new systems, new features, new episodes, new content. You're down to a skeleton crew of like one or two or three people when the game is just in um, decline or uh, what we call maintenance mode. What we have seen and, and is, is that is, uh, you know, we have, you've seen some people uh, turnover in employment because a lot of talent went to magic, right? We had to move some people to magic because that's our new game. And that's a, so a lot, of, a lot of people were excited to work on that, get that game going. And, uh, um, and I was on magic for a little while. And, you know, so, so people, people move around. That's the nature of things. So we have a lot of new fresh faces coming in, but, you know, we're replacing those people with fresh faces as we kind of share our talent around. That's the, the beauty of cryptic because all our games run on the same engine and you just add to it and keep making the engine better. So magic's working on some great new technology that we'll be able to add to, uh, to Star Trek in the, in the, future when that's all done. Great time for Star Trek Online, great time for Cryptic, great time for Star Trek fans, bad time for haters. So they can... (laughs) I mean, there's, me. there's absolutely no doubt. I mean, you know, that we, and we talked about this and, and, and defended this point, is that there was a lot of holes in the argument. Oh, it's um, just silly. You, you did a great job and, uh, covering those topics, yeah. And so, so but, but something I do want to, I guess, address while, while we have you here is there is evidence to suggest that there is definitely a peak of, of an influx of players when something like a new episode comes out. And then things kind of lull down a little bit. The, the, the peaks and valleys, which I think yeah. is, are words that you've said to us. You know, with a nine-year-old MMO, and I know Kenna kind of brought this up while we were there with you, is the game has a lot of systems. The game has a lot of content to play. Is there is there ever a concern that sometimes it become... The word that comes to my mind is bloated, but I, it, it's not the right one. It, it, because I know your, 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 your response to me obvi- sometimes is... Is too much con- is, is content too much content really bad? But what about streamlining? Right, the, I guess it's not a matter of it being bloated. But what about streamlining Star Trek mm-hmm. Online? Things like the yeah. reputation. When you when you say content, do you specifically mean missions, or do you just mean like things to do in the game? Things to do in the game. So right. I, I yeah, think yeah. of I think of like the reputation system, reputation, I think of duty buff, officers, yeah, duty yeah. officers. Mm-hmm. All, you this, know, you're you're you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's um. Uh, you know, running an MMO, you know, a successful one has its own set of challenges. I mean, you, you when you have success, it's uh, making a game and running a live game are actually two very, very different things, right? 
and retakes a different set of talent and a different different strategies. Right now, what magic you know the magic game is working on, they're making a brand new game, and you have to think very very differently. And then what you, what you want to release, but then after you're live, the game becomes something different than what you planned on it because players like some things and they don't like other things, and then you start adjusting and making more of the things they like, less of the things they don't like, and then experimenting with new things. Star Trek's now been doing this for for nine years now, and we have a cadence of things that we know that people like. You can't stray from that too much. I'll give an example of, for instance, um, the old, uh, not not KOTOR, not the current Star Star Wars game, but the original uh, Star Wars. You know, they changed a the fundamental part of the game at one point and lost a lot of users. Galaxy because right? was that, what's that? Yes, galaxies. galaxies. Yes, uh, because once you have a once you have an audience that likes the game, it's kind of self, self-selecting. self And the people who, who like things that are not in your game have probably gone and the think people who you know like the things that are in your game are, are going to stay and going to play. Um, this comes to a little question you asked before. You were talking about last week about PvP. Do we have a lot of PvP players in the game? You know, we keep trying different things to see if people will like PvP and want to engage in that. And we've got some other plans we want to do in the future to add more, uh, uh, try some other things. You know, it may be that the game has self-selected to have less interest in PvP. We learned that in City of Heroes and City of Villains. When, when we launched City of Heroes, everybody wanted, let's, we want to have villains. Why don't you have villains? We have PvP, we want a PvP. And we thought, you know, at the time, if we added City of Villains, we would game would explode and all kinds of people would play. And we added City of Villains, and it was a great, it was a great experience. It was beautifully, it was well done. People loved it, but it didn't bring any new players to the game, and it didn't change players' behaviors. They didn't play PvP. They played the villains, and they played that content just like they played the hero content. It didn't change behavior. Um, it made money, but it didn't change behavior, and it didn't bring in different kinds of players. You, gen- you generally find that. So to that point, is it still worth investing the development dollars into something like PvP? It is always worth ex- it is always worth experimenting. We're always trying to experiment to see what will people like, what will people play, what will people buy, what will uh, what will attract new players. You always experiment, and and then sometimes things don't work out and they don't stick, and then you don't you don't work on those anymore, and you try other things, and and you go with your gut, you go with what people are asking for, and you and you go with metrics, and you see and you see what you can do. As far as you're saying, as far as like, you know, is it bloated? Um, this comes back to my uh, Golden Gate bridge analogy where i love using the analogy that they're always painting the golden gate bridge from one end to the other it takes so long by the time they get to the end the other side it needs to be repainted again they're just constantly repainting the golden gate bridge but we are doing that but the bridge keeps getting longer and wider um and so yes we have to go back and keep trimming out things that don't work trimming out things we don't need and taking the old systems and remastering them making them better making them slicker or making them cleaner, making them better. And sometimes we try to make them better and they're not much better or maybe they're worse. And, but usually I think we do a good job and make them a lot better and a lot cleaner. We see that with episodes, tutorials, character creation. Right, we've revamped. You know, crafting is not the first crafting system. It's not the first tutorials for for Federation or Klingon. We don't have the same content. We don't, you know, missions. When I say when I say content, I specifically mean missions. So you keep changing that, and yeah, things like duty officer system probably could use a revamp. Reputation has got more of my. I've got more of a crosshair on reputations right now. It'll take a while, but we really want to streamline and improve that that UX, that experience, that user experience and maintain what it does and what the fundamentals what it is but just make it better it was designed for like one reputation and then three and then okay now and then we kept adding things to it and it's got and you having it do things that wasn't really designed for it says okay it's time really this just needs some help 
but that's the nature of an MMO. And while you're doing that, you're constantly having to make new content because you talked about that ebb and flows. And yeah, absolutely. There's no secret there. You release a new season, a new expansion, a new event, people come in. The player base, a uh, number of players, uh, new, new unique players come in, how long they play increases. And then when you got that, they spend more money. And so you want to tie your sales and what your what new things that you make with those increased players. And then they they play the content, they play the, the the events, and then they're done with that, and they start slowing down, and they play, and they play less. And then you got to get something new in in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, maybe you might lose those players because they get uh, uh, interested in another game or something uh, disinterested. So you have these tentpole events we call. So that way you have the curve, and then before the next season comes out, before the trip capers off too much, and the next season comes up, you have a little tentpole event to try to get little people more interested in. Oh, I remember this new season come out, and then numbers go up high. So there's always a, a cadence, and you can't let things go for more than three months without losing people. And we try and do things now a little bit more once a month. And so balancing new stuff, new experiences while going back and updating old stuff is a balance. We have, I just kind of laid out the plan for the next year as far as what we want to do like content story-wise. There's a lot of things we want to do and improve and we don't can't do it all. It's like which, which one of these things we're going to do. Should we do less new stuff to improve some of these old stuff or should we just, should we make more old stuff and improve less old stuff? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right decision is. Uh, we try it. We want to do it all. So that's that's the nature of MMO, and it is a ten-year-old game, right? You know, there are old assets, and there's old systems in the game that are very old, and they're not contemporary, and they're alongside things that are brand new. You can see that when you play a discovery character, and you play a brand new discovery character, brand new high high fidelity graphics, high fidelity characters, and then the first arc you go into is the Klingon arc, and you see a ten-year-old Klingon. That's very, very low poly with 10-year-old old Klingon environment assets. We want to improve that, that, and that's one of the things we want to do. But do we do spend 12 weeks working on that, or do we spend you know, 12 weeks working on a ep- you know, pair of episodes with uh, Mary Wiseman? Right. Mm-hmm. Got to do both somehow. Right, but right. yeah, that's, that's the challenge of a, of a live MMO, and the older it gets, the harder it gets to work on. And it gets, the game gets more complex because you're constantly adding new things to it. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, it's just too many systems. Can we rip out this system? Can we cut out this thing? Can we stop doing this? What's the, should we, cause we should be focusing on the things that matter. What are people playing? Let's focus on the things that matter and move away from things that, that aren't really paying off, that aren't worth the investment. Anytime you remove something or change something, you risk upsetting people. That's the reality. But hopefully you make the right decision to be focusing on the things that matter for the majority of the people. Sorry, I got a little long-winded in there. No, so. no, not at all. Um, you had mentioned that that stuff is coming out on a monthly basis now, and um, Mike Fatem actually mentioned last week that we we might be getting another roadmap update soon. Is there any time that we could expect that? I have no idea. I don't know what I know what we're I know what the roadmap is. I don't know when they're going to tell you. So uh, maybe Mike could tell you that if you can squeeze it out of him. So sorry, I I really don't know. I don't. That, uh, that's the other side of the fence, right? We build the stuff, we throw it over the fence, and then. And people release it and market it. So, I mean, you've got um, the uh, current uh, um, Pablo Dissension event is 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 uh, is coming to an end, and so or has it ended already? And so, um, 
we're, we're, we'll have something coming up right after that and then something right after that. So we want to make sure that there's always something fun and exciting new. And we also want to change one of the things we talked about recently is trying to make sure that since we're focusing on this kind of cadence to make sure that people know, like you said, the roadmap uh, in game, what that is and how, how do you do these? How do you access? How do you play these things? And when is it that you can play these? So since that's kind of a folk thing that we're focusing on right now and as we see people engage as, yeah, this is working, we should double down on it. So that's what we're going to do. One of the things that the, that the reviewer said was that the audience for Star Trek Online really is Star Trek fans. That Star Trek Online success is, is because of Star Trek fans. There's no doubt that, that Star Trek fans play the game. I mean, you're, you're talking to a group of podcasters who are Star Trek fans. What would you say to that? I mean, what would you say to um, that? I'm going to guess. I'm going I'm to go out on a limb here and say that the people who play um, the Knights of the Old Republic are Star Wars fans. What do you think about that? Do you think do you think the Lord of the Rings online players are Lord of the Ring fans? Do you think that's do you think that's possible? I wonder if that's I wonder if that's true. Um, <laughs> come on, guys, come on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's is like, that of course, to, is that meant to be an insult? No, I mean, of course, if you're that's why that's the power of an IP. That's why you leverage an IP, right? Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah, you know what? We're probably going to get a lot of Magic the Gathering fans to come and play Magic the Gathering. We sell cryptic cells in these games that that license IPs. We sell fantasies. We want this. We sell this fantasy of people want to live in these worlds and experience this world. You know, and if all I could ever get was Star Trek fans, like, is that the worst problem to have? And it's not true. Of course, people who've never played, who ne- don't know much about Star Trek or anything at all have come and checked out the game. But obviously, majority of our players are Star Trek fans. But you know what? There's a lot of us out there. Right. So there's no shortage of Star Trek fans. I, if I ever got to work on an Avatar game or a Futurama game or a Ghostbusters game or a or a, a Matrix game that would have been a fun one, wouldn't it? A, a, a Matrix game, right? Uh, a Star Wars game or anything like that. You basically do that because you because you have a built-in player base, you have a built-in fan base, and they want to come and play the game. I really love to work on a Harry Potter game, but no one can seem to secure that license, and that would be an instant fan base. And every fair Harry Potter fan would play it. If you weren't a Harry Potter fan. Why would you play it if you didn't see the movies I'm, or, or watch or read the books? That's not a bad thing. I can't tell you what the percentage is of how many Star Trek fans are and are, are not. I'm sure a majority of them are, but I'm sure some of them are not. And as long as they're having fun, I don't care. You know, I hope they are having fun. And I hope if we, if we, you know, I have heard this, and this is great, is that I've had multiple people, multiple uh, players have told me that they played Star Trek Online Age of Discovery. And because of it, they converted and decided to give Discovery a chance and then love Discovery because of it. Whether or not we're doing that across Star Trek fan bases, I don't know. But I've heard a couple people tell me that, and that was great praise. That made me feel really good. I don't know what to say to that comment other than, duh, of course. Sure, we have, you know, the only, I mean, and that is not a bad, that is not a problem. That is actually, an, I consider that an asset. Well, again, thank you so very much for stopping by, Al. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Al. Thanks, Thanks Al. so very much. Thank you, Al. Well, again, a very special thanks to Al Rivera for stopping by and chatting with us. Now, let's see what's on screen in the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. On screen. Well, Captains, welcome to On Screen, where we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. This week, Season 2, Episode 8, If Memory Serves. Giorgio, on Leland's order, directs the Discovery to stay where she is. Pike's mission is to investigate the recently destroyed future probe wreckage 
and leave Burnham and Spock to Section 31. Meanwhile, the aforementioned Burnham and Spock have arrived at Talos 4, and they meet an old friend, Vina. After catching Burnham up, the trio go below the surface to meet with the Talosians. The telepathic beings explain that Spock is experiencing time as a fluid rather than a linear construct, and logic is failing him. He is in danger of losing his mind. The Talosians offer to take Michael into Spock's mind and help disconnect him from logic, if she agrees to share her conflict with Spock on Vulcan during their childhood as payment. Reluctantly, Burnham agrees and soon is in Spock's brain. She sees his first encounter with the Red Angel the night she ran away from home. The Angel showed Spock a possible outcome, one in which Burnham was killed, and then it showed Spock where Michael was, so she could be rescued from her gruesome fate. Next, the Red Angel took Spock to a remote planet and showed him the end of all life. During an attempted mind meld, Spock learned that the Angel is a lonely, desperate human with advanced technology, possibly from the future. Finally, Burnham witnessed his escape from the mental facility and his use of non-lethal force. Spock did not kill anyone. On Discovery, Colbert is a bit standoffish. Everything makes the Doctor irritable. Touch, conversation, the sight of his murderer. Everything. Familiar is not familiar, and Colbert's frustration bubbles to the surface. He lashes out at Stamets, then makes his way to the mess hall for some Saru-approved fisticuffs with Vok Tyler. In the end, Colbert ends his relationship with the heartbroken Stamets. Also on Discovery, but in the captain's ready room, Pike is surprised by an old friend, Vina. Her mental projection shares a tender moment with Pike before Burnham and Spock are projected, informing the captain of Spock's vision and their location on Talos IV. Urged by Vina to help, Pike decides to spore jump, but sabotage of the spore hub prohibits use of the drive. The drive sabotage is not the only subterfuge taking place on Discovery either. There were three large encrypted, unauthorized bursts of information from the transceiver array sent to an unknown location, using Ash Tyler's command codes. The Section 31 operative is reluctantly confined to quarters by Pike, but Brainiac... <laughs> Arium's weird eye thing leads us to believe that Ash may have been wrongly accused. Without the use of the spore drive, Discovery sets course for Talos 4 and quickly learns that they are being tailed by Section 31. Back on Talos, the time has come for Burnham to pay the Talosians, and we see a young Burnham scorn a young Spock in an attempt to protect the family from logic extremists. Her words are hurtful to both Spock and Burnham, but they keep the young Vulcan safely at home, if not heartbroken. After some biting words from the adult Spock, the siblings are told that two ships have arrived. Both Discovery and Leland attempt to beam up Spock and Burnham simultaneously. And if one of the ships does not disengage, the pair will be torn apart. Atom by Atom. On Vina Projection's advice, Pike orders the Discovery to disengage the transporter beam. Pike is ordered to then take Discovery to Starbase 11 for disciplinary action, and gloating Leland warps away with his prize. Until Spock and Burnham fade away. Mental projections of the Talosians. Burnham and Spock safely take the shuttle from the surface of Talos 4 to Discovery before the ship warps away. Fugitives of Starfleet.
the end. All right, let's jump right in with some touchstoning with our resident Trek Encyclopedia, Anthony. Uh, so obviously Talos IV is a big touchstone here. Uh, we go back to the planet. We see the Talosians. We see the singing plants. Um, Vena is there. The brain veins are there. Um, and the sound effects really play a major touchstone to the the cage episode i mean the the sound effects were almost right out of there um and i think that the editor even mentions uh them going back and and referencing those sound effects for this episode um and then also uh later on in the episode when there's a problem with the spore drive tilly mentions duotronics which is something that scotty had mentioned several times in the original series about um, you know, the, the computer systems on the Enterprise. So I thought that was that was a pretty cool callback and something we don't hear very often. I think Duotronics kind of went out uh, in the in the 22nd and early 23rd century, or 24th century, sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, Duotronics sounds like something you should be able to pick up at Radio Shack. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm glad that it kind of got phased out of, uh, out of Star well, Trek. Well, not window. for nothing. If they're still using Duotronics... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was um, it was Shane who pointed out to me that they're still using SQL SQL servers on Star Trek. <laughs> I, I nope. thought I misheard it's that. Oh my god! Oh my god! They're I'm using, not the only person. I use SQL they're, today. We, we, <laughs> Earlier we today, have, I used we SQL. We still have SQL injections happening in <laughs> in that century. That's great. Nice. Good catch, though, <laughs> Shane. Good catch. Nice. All right, so now that we've hit on the touchstones of previous Star Trek iterations, let's get the cons out of the way. Kenna. Okay, well, so I'll I'll try to keep this brief. Um, This was a really difficult episode for me because... Well, I'll just jump right to it. I really hated that we went to Talos Four, um, and I and I don't mean that in the same vein of like, oh, I hate Discovery. Discovery sucks. I don't mean that at all. Um, I actually, so I love the episode, the Cage, and uh, the Menagerie as well. I think there's some really interesting Star Trek, and um, while I kind of enjoyed that we got to sort of see that you know, modernized, I really felt as though it kind of cheapened um, the experience because effectively the only reason we were on Talos 4 was was a different vehicle for more exposition. So these, basically what we found out from Talos 4 was two pieces of information. Number one, what, well, I guess three, uh, what Spock saw at the mental institution, what he experienced with the Red Angel, and also what it was that Burnham said to Spock to, that hurt his feelings so badly, you know. Uh, but these these are these are things that both Spock and Burnham know, and we could have found out a different way. Like I I I, I had no problem with going back to Talos. I, I thought that it was um, it was kind of a cheap way to do it, and I wish we'd done it a little bit different. But on the whole, it's uh, it's fine. And I thought, given that this is the way they decided to play it, they actually did a pretty good. Execution so I, I share a little bit in that point, um, mostly because I, my take on it is that I, I think I still believe that the writers are having a hard time trusting their audience and how they're writing. Um, we open the show with this wonderful previously on sequence, which was an emotional journey for for several viewers and several Star Trek fans. Um, but... It also acted as a, hey, 
By the way, pause this because you might want to watch that episode that we're about to be referencing quite heavily in, in, in this episode of Discovery. So pause what you're doing, go watch them. Instead, we, I feel like we wasted time retelling plot points from the episode. Where if you watched the episode, you didn't need to know that Vina was deformed. You didn't need to know that the Telosians feed on the telepathy of the, of the creatures that they, they capture and, and hold. Um, mind you, where are, the, where are those other creatures in their cages? Where, where were they? Um, but, yeah, that's, it just pulled me out a little bit. It pulled me out when, when there was an obvious point to say, hey, this is, this is Trek. Here is the line in the sand. Here is the declaration flag that we are in the same timeline. Go watch this. Go watch this previous episode for some context. Yeah, I think one thing in this episode um, with Colbert especially, I, I I love the dramatic tension that's happening between him and, um, you know, Tyler. But what, what kind of is disappointing is that we didn't really get to know Colbert very well in season one. And so having this storyline, this narrative thread happening now, I, I feel like I'm not as invested in his character as I really want to be. And so I kind of wish that we had spent more time with, with Colbert in season one so that what's happening has more of an impact. So let's talk about the pros. Um, if y'all don't mind, I'll go first. <laughs> go for it. Uh, Anson Mount is a remarkable actor who is bringing Pike to life. I mean, the, the scene where he sees Vina for the first time in this episode, after so many years, he looks at her reflection, he pauses, oh, confused, he's not really sure what he's looking at, as if, as if though he thinks he's imagining it, then looks up and projects a real emotional reaction of fear, shock, loving surprise. What one would imagine would feel like to see a, 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 a loved one who has passed away suddenly present themselves to you. I mean, it was just so, so real. That moment was just so real as an actor. Kudos to him. Also, the set design, the sounds, makeup on Talos, the, you know, you guys talked about the sound. I immediately, uh, not only did I hear the sounds, but I immediately turned my attention to the green tinted <laughs> sky above, above Talos. Sorry, I laugh because they have clearly stolen the, whatever the filter it is that they use for um, CSI in New York. <laughs> that makes, not the one from, not the one from Miami that makes everything orange, but the one from New York that makes everything blue. And I couldn't not see it when I first, when I thought, I used to be a huge CSI fan. Because it used to, CSI, you used to be able to tell which CSI you were watching by what filter they had on the, on the, all the film. And, and this is what it was like, oh, you're definitely on an alien planet because it's kind of blue. <laughs> I loved it. But it was, well, well, no, on Talos, it's a green tint. It was a green it's tint. It's actually like in the blue from, it's, it's like blue a, from the skyline down and it's green top. It's actually two different colors. If you look at the, um, I forget what they call it, the color grading or whatever. It's um, it's it's two different pieces to provide the contrast. Even in the oh, original? Oh, I don't know about the original. No, I was just noticing it in this oh, particular but episode. It was, but, it, but my point was is that it was, it, it was consistent with what we saw in the original series. 
that blue green hue right um and and what i really appreciated was that they did not go over the top of the telosians right they they just stuck with a really decent interpretation and did not go over the top <coughs> going on <laughs> and it was delightful i loved what they did i loved they should they have had the them with hair also, now, that the, now that the klingon war is over <laughs> also a shout out to my dominican brothers uh colber is obviously dominican it seems because stamets you're gonna have to bring some of that to SLV this year um for us all to try i'm, I, I'm not dominican kenna <laughs> I know that. Now I'm all uncomfortable. I know that. I'm just saying. I don't know what it is, yeah. so you need to go and find yeah. it. I will bring you some uh, Kanyaku from Mitsuwa. I will bring you... And I'm not Japanese, so, you know. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Um, I wanted to... <laughs> sorry, I wanted to go back to something you said. Um, basically saying how... and That you're enjoying Anson Mount's portrayal of Captain Pike. And I completely, 100% agree with you. This was... um. This was an episode where I'm starting to think of Pike now as a Picard or a Janeway in terms in terms of his ability to lead a crew. It's a shame that he actually has a pretty small part um, when you're talking about leadership in this series. However, in this sort of second half, I guess we're not quite into the second half of the series, but um, since sort of the changeover of the showrunners, I'm seeing some... Uh, really mature emotional interactions and a lot of them are coming from Pike and his interactions with other members of the crew. I loved the way that Pike sort of dressed down Saru after the fight. Um, I thought that was a really mature and um, uh, it was it was a it was a mark of a leader the way he made it very clear that it was unacceptable but also that he was understanding of that decision that Saru made in the moment to let them keep fighting. And while I'm on the subject, the fight between Tyler and Culber, I thought was, that was quite possibly my favorite scene of this episode and quite possibly my favorite scene of Discovery so far. I thought that the raw emotions that we saw coming out of um, Wilson Cruz were incredible. I thought that the dynamic as they played it out in the, um, in the mess hall was really, really good. And I loved the ending when he... The space rumbus came out? <laughs> no, before that. <laughs> the, the not quite ending. No, the bit oh. where he says, I don't even know who I am anymore. And Ash Tyler says, who do you think you're talking to? I thought that was the most sort of real mm -hmm. raw that moment that we've seen in Discovery so far. And I'm like, it's like, <laughs> in a way, I kind of hope it's kind of a budding bromance. They have, weirdly, a lot in common and a lot to teach each other. And um, it was a really mature bit of writing that I loved. There we go. For me, this episode was uh, a celebration of Star Trek in a lot of ways. It reminded me a lot of the 30th anniversary episodes from DS9 and Voyager, uh, Trials and Tribulations, and Flashback, uh, the one where Tuvok is on the Excelsior. And um, it just, like, I don't know. It was just so much fun to see the previously on and then to go into the episode, to go back to Talos. Um, the Cage is one of my favorite TOS episodes and to revisit those events and to explore beyond that. And then also while telling the story of Spock and Burnham's relationship and, you know, how 
how Spock relates to the Red Angel and, and pushing this season's narrative forward a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. It's probably um, one of my favorite episodes of season two, if not of all of Discovery. Well, that wraps up this week's On Screen. Now, next week, we're tackling Season 2, Episode 9 of Discovery, Project Daedalus, and we want to hear your thoughts. So, send us your opinions on the episode, either via social media or via incoming at Priority One Podcast, and your comments could be part of the discussion next week. Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 403's community question was, what will you miss most about the Foundry in Star Trek Online? Do you have a favorite mission? Patron Shane Hoover writes in, what I'll miss most is being able to use the Foundry as a parachute against STO Burnout. Whether I was authoring my own Foundry projects or playing the many amazing works of other authors, it was always a way to find something interesting when the game gets to be a grind. I understand why they couldn't carry on supporting the Foundry, but it sucks. It's also worth saying that the community of authors and players that rose up around the Foundry was one of the best communities Star Trek Online has created. Sad to see it go. From Twitter, Pax Federatica says, As a longtime Foundry author of around 20 missions, including a couple of spotlights, I will miss being able to make my own contributions, however small, to the STO story. That said, it should be known that not all Foundry authors are about to go gently into the night. Some of us are making and sharing boff costumes of characters from our missions. Others are recording playthroughs of missions to live on YouTube. Still others, myself included, plan to convert our mission stories into STO fanfiction. I've even begun assembling a portal blog for my Foundry fiction project, which I have dubbed STO The Peacemakers. It's still under construction, but you can find it here, stopeacemakers.blogspot.com. You know, I just had an idea. What if Star Trek Online released some of their textures, not all, but a, like a nice, nice big heaping library of textures that could be imported into Unity so that Foundry authors can create missions on the Unity engine? I mean, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of IP stuff. I'm sure there's a ton of IP stuff for, behind that. But the idea of modding, the idea of creating missions for a game, the, the mod, right, mm -hmm. right, the Foundry really is a is an extension of the mod community, yeah. right? As far back as you can go in terms of, you know, first-person shooters or or other MMOs or other games, modding has been played a very integral role in game development. So, with modding now removed from Star Trek Online, again, not modding, it's the Foundry, I wonder if some of the Foundry authors might move over to Unity. Like, I just saw recently on a YouTube video, somebody did um, a Unity port of the Star Wars racer game, the pod racer game, that old N64 PlayStation, you remember that old pod racer game? Um, and it looks beautiful. The Unity engine might be a, a, a direction that some of the Foundry authors might want to consider. I, now, I know very little about it, and I've never modded, and I've never dabbled in the Foundry, but 
my understanding is that Unity is pretty accessible. Well, regardless, it sounds like, um, despite the foundry being sunset, um, that community that sprung up around the foundry seems as though it's going to continue, which is actually really, really good to hear because that's, you know, it's, it's uh, fan-produced stories, it's user-generated content, and uh, deserves to have a life after Stowe. Also from Twitter, Duncan Idaho 11 says, Miss most everything. The Foundry was a unique set of experiences in gaming from mission to creation to its attended community. All of it was wonderful. His favorite, A Smuggler's Life for Me by at Johnny Snowball. And he says, this was kind of a choosing between your children type of question. He even includes a photo from the Smuggler's Life mission. And I must say, I've never played this mission, but the screenshots he includes are gorgeous. I mean, you know, the creator of this mission obviously went through a lot of work to create a very unique experience. And, um, and I'm definitely going to play this mission before the Foundry goes away. Yeah, listen, I dabbled a little bit in the Foundry, and I, I stress dabbled. Uh, creating a, a, a good, solid map in the Foundry is not easy. It takes an incredible attention to detail, and um, some of the artwork that people have put together on some of these missions is um, out of this world. On Facebook, David Collins writes in, Unfortunately, I never played a Foundry mission I enjoyed, but I regret that I never got around to creating one. From Twitter, aggressively relaxing writes, it never existed in the Xbox community, which is kind of a shame, but I guess I can see why they couldn't uh, extend that to the console versions of the game. Now, with the way their production schedule works and how stringent and, and demanding it is to publish on, on any of the consoles, I can't imagine having a system that would break after every patch and then fix... You can't, set, you can't push a fix, right? You can't push a fix on Xbox or PlayStation 4. You have to wait until the next round. Yeah, so. I'd be curious to find out if there are any MMOs that have... Because several MMOs, you can do that kind of user-generated content or modding. Um, I don't know of any off the top of my head on the consoles that you can do that. I would be interested to find out if there was and, and how that works. Um, so aggressively relaxing, if you're listening. Um, let me know if you know of any other games that do that. Over on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, Ron K. writes in, Having a refuge from cryptic content that I don't want to play. I keep hearing that cryptic is trimming the fat and that they should trim some more. But if you trim too much, then people are going to leave the game. The Foundry is a big deal to a lot of people, and a chunk of those people are going to disappear come April. Trim too much fat and this game will die, just like that YouTube video suggests. Ouch. I, well, I guess it depends on what you consider fat. I don't think this was a decision that was taken lightly, and I'm fairly certain that the uh, the metrics, which I know is a four-letter word, um, back up the decision. I think that you will see this offset with other things that um, make Star Trek Online ultimately more profitable and more stable for the future. So it is a shame to say goodbye to the Foundry, but I think... I personally have a lot of faith in the developers at Cryptic Studios that I believe in the long run it will have been the right decision. And with respect to trimming the fat, I mean, you know, and and when we spoke about it last week, something like PvP, I could see going bye-bye, right? I could see that as something that may not be accessible to all players, right? I mentioned the gap between the casual player 
and and a, and somebody a member of the DPS league, right? You 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 all you have to do is play infected and log that combat to see that at more often than not there's at least one person doing 150 DPS while everybody else is at 20, 30, 40, 50. So I, I personally I have no interest in PVP. I would also say that I think trimming the fat is a is a mislabel. It's actually reallocating the fat to another area. Cuz they're taking these resources and they're putting it in another area of the game. They're not just cutting it away. So I think that's important to remember. And finally this week, we took to Twitter for another hashtag Survey Sunday. We asked you, do you think Ethan Peck's Spock beard is really working? And out of 24 votes, 42% of you said yes. Hashtag get hipster Spock an IPA. And 58% of you said no. Hashtag science shower shave. And I challenge anyone to say that three times fast. I want to know the uh, breakdown of the demographics of the people that voted uh, in this Twitter poll, because I personally think the beard is working. I mean, he eventually shaves it. And so, you know, we get we get some beard Spock. We get some no beard. It's Spock, like the reverse so, Riker. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's that. Well, that wraps up episode 404 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, here's a community question for this week. Do you play any Star Trek tabletop games? If so, what are your favorites? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members of the community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on our social media channels for broadcast times and... If you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our surprise guest this week, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. 
thanks to audio editors including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer Henry Pumper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. That's section thirty-two. Where? No, <laughs> where, that's section. Where, six, never mind. Never mind. Oh, you said it. Oh, I, I wasn't gonna it. say it. I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Whew. All right. Okay. Let me straighten my com badge and get to this. Follow our, follow us on social medias for those times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. Did you say social medias? Damn it, did I? What am I, 60? <laughs> Follow uh, us on all the social medias. The internet's a is series of right? tubes. Jimmy, is that the right term? Is that what the <laughs> is that what they're calling it? The socials? The social medias? <laughs> Follow us on our social media accounts four times. Follow us on our Follow us four <laughs> times. Follow us all four times. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on our social media channels for broadcast times. For and if you'd like to join. <laughs> so well, look, the wheels, the wheels have just gone off. Bidet, bidet. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.